Write for Yourselves This Song means that Jews achieve continuity by living their lives to the music, to the tempo of the Torah, and by understanding the wonder of a people that truly was an orchestra of exiles, but which never stopped dreaming of coming home. Welcome to Bible 365, Episode 60, The Stradivarius at the Subway. I'm Mayor Soloveitchik. Let us speak of the saga of the Stradivarius at the Subway. Some years ago, Gene Weingarten, a writer for the Washington Post, decided to conduct an experiment. He would ask a violin virtuoso to play an extraordinary piece of music at a Washington, D.C. subway stop during rush hour. What would happen? Weingarten describes how on one morning, Joshua Bell, one of the most gifted violinists of our age, dressed in a nondescript manner, set himself up at the L'Enfant Plaza metro stop in D.C., took out his Stradivarius violin and began to play. Weingarten writes, quote, The violin is an instrument that is said to be much like the human voice, and in this musician's masterly hands, it sobbed and laughed and sang, ecstatic, sorrowful importuning, adoring, flirtatious, castigating, playful, romancing, merry, triumphal, sumptuous, end quote. What actually occurred? Just Google Joshua Bell Subway and you can see the video. The crowd never gathers. Almost everyone rushes by, utterly oblivious of the fact that they have a free front row seat to an experience that at this proximity would usually cost many, many hundreds of dollars. Weingarten reports that after he published his story, Letters poured in, written by people deeply affected by his piece. Some even cried after they read it. Why? Most people aren't all that interested in classical music, and if they really cared so much about Joshua Bell, maybe they could save up and see him in concert. But I think we know what truly bothered them. In Weingarten's words, quote, If we can't take the time out of our lives to stay a moment and listen to one of the best musicians on earth play some of the best music ever written, if the surge of modern life so overpowers us that we are deaf and blind to something like that, then what else are we missing? End quote. Weingarten's question is one that confronts all of us, and in a certain sense, it is one that the final commandment in the Torah inspires us to ask. As his life comes to a close, Moses sings to the people of Israel, describing the justice and mercy of God and the ultimate punishment of the persecutors of his people. Moses' song begins with the joyous words of chapter 32. Give ear, ye heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. My lesson shall drop as the rain, my speech shall distill as the dew, as the small rain upon the tender grass, and the showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe ye greatness unto our God. The lyrics go on. But what is most interesting for our purposes is that Moses precedes his exultant song with the following instruction, Deuteronomy 31, 19. Now therefore write ye this song for you, and teach thou it the children of Israel. Put it in their mouths, that this song may be a witness for me, for the children of Israel. Simply understood, Moses is obligating the Israelites to transcribe what he will sing. But the rabbis, fascinatingly, understood this sentence as the source of the obligation to write the entire scroll of the Torah, the Torah that draws to a close with the Song of Moses. 
the final commandment of the 613 mitzvahs contained in the Torah, write the song, meaning write the Torah of Moses. And what this tells us is that the song at the end of Deuteronomy is understood by Jewish tradition to be an embodiment of the entire Torah, that the Torah, rightly understood, ought to be seen not as turgid text, but as sheet music. What does this mean? In what way can the Torah be considered a song? My own understanding of this concept was deepened by a documentary film that I saw titled Orchestra of Exiles, about a man named Bronislav Huberman. In 1929, Huberman visited British Mandate Palestine and, inspired by the Zionist endeavor, was stirred by a vision of bringing a classical orchestra to the Holy Land. And so during the 1930s, concurrent with the rise of Hitler, Huberman traveled all over Europe encouraging Jewish musicians to emigrate to the Middle East. And this ended up saving many lives. We are told in the documentary that throughout much of this decade, Huberman was desperately traveling all over America, performing to raise funds to transport the most gifted Jewish musicians from Europe to the Middle East. In 1936, when he was performing at Carnegie Hall, the Stradivarius that had been gifted to him as a young man that he had been playing for decades was stolen from his dressing room. Huberman, the documentary reveals, was under terrible pressure to get visas for the musicians and to raise money for the orchestra on the Holy Land. And the loss of his violin that he had played since his youth was devastating. Joshua Bell is interviewed in this film, and he says, quote, The connection between violinist and violin it becomes almost like your soulmate. Some people compare it to getting married. Huberman, Bell continued, formed so much of his career on this violin, so it must have been devastating to come back to his dressing room and to know that your soul, your voice, is missing, end quote. Huberman, alas, never found his Stradivarius. And I found this connection between the Stradivarius and the soul quite striking, because my grandfather, by Aaron Soloveitchik, has noted, that in the Torah, songs are written differently than prose. Instead of regular paragraphs, regular lines, there are large spaces in between the phrases. Thus, for example, if one opened a Torah scroll to our section to say, chapter 32, verse 4, one would find the Song of Moses written as follows. The rock, his ways are perfect. And then, Right after those words, instead of concluding the verse, there'd be a blank portion of parchment. And only then the continuation, for all his ways are justice. The next line, which is, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, righteous and upright is he, would also read, a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, and then another space, followed by, righteous and upright is he. Why the large spaces? Why are biblical lyrics written by the sofer described differently than prose. The message, the meaning, my grandfather said, is that songs are so much more than words. They have elements, musical, emotional, spiritual, that words alone cannot capture. And so in seeing a song written in the Torah, we are, as it were, meant to read between the lines and understand the emotion that is within it, emotion that cannot be put into words. In a similar sense, or by Jonathan Sachs, cites the English novelist Arnold Bennett, who once said that, quote, music is a language which the soul alone understands, but which the soul can never translate. And to this, Rabbi Sachs himself added that, quote, there is an inner connection between music and the spirit. When language aspires to the transcendent and the soul longs to break free, 
of the gravitational pull of the earth. It modulates into song. Words are the language of the mind. Music is the language of the soul. End quote. And when I pondered this, I realized that in truth, the phrase utilized to describe the birth of the Israel Philharmonic, Orchestra of Exiles, is such a fitting name for the history of the Jewish people. The 19th century rabbi Yechiel Michal Epstein, in his preface to part of his legal masterwork known as Aruch HaShulchan, reflected on what it means that the source for writing the Torah in a scroll is our sentence in Deuteronomy, Kitvu lachem et hazot, write for yourselves this song. What does a text that to a great extent is legal have to do with song? Rabbi Epstein explained that throughout Jewish history, the Torah has been studied, poured over, and interpreted with the constancy of creative reflections, adding to a veritable harmony of insights throughout the ages. As he puts it, Zohi tiferet Toratenu, he writes, this is the glory of the Torah, and then he adds, V'chola Torah kula nikret shira, and all the Torah is called a song, V'tiferet hashir hi, kolot mushunim zemizeh, V'zehu ikar hanimut. And the glory of a song is that the voices are different from one another, and that is the essence of its beauty. Understood this way, every act of Jewish learning is an encounter with the harmonies that is the Torah. If, despite Jewish history being filled with such suffering, persecution, and pain, Jews themselves loved life and filled it with holiness and joy, it is because every one of them was aware that he or she experienced this great song, that in learning it, they were playing music, that they were thereby becoming part of an intergenerational orchestra of exiles. If the Torah is compared to a song, it is because music is the embodiment of covenantal continuity. Rabbi Sachs, who uses imagery similar to this in his own interpretation, put it this way, quote, Music is a form of sensed continuity that can sometimes break through the most overpowering disconnections in our experience of time. Faith, he writes, is more like music than like science. Science analyzes, music integrates. And as music connects note to note, so faith connects episode to episode, life to life, age to age, in a timeless melody that breaks into time. God is the composer and librettist. We are each called on to be voices in the choir, singers of God's song. Faith, said Rabbi Sachs, teaches us to hear the music beneath the noise, end quote. That is a phrase I like. Faith teaches us to hear the music beneath the noise. And this, in turn, brings us back to Joshua Bell, who was once known as the violinist prodigy, and then overnight became suddenly famous as the violinist everyone ignored at the subway. This bothered him. And so, eventually, the Washington Post announced that Joshua Bell wanted a do-over. He would perform again in D.C., in public. And this time, of course, a crowd gathered. But even more interesting is the Stradivarius that Bell played at the subway. This was the long-lost Stradivarius of Bronislav Huberman, which had surfaced after Huberman's death. Bell had sold his own Stradivarius in order to purchase Huberman's. And one of the first places that he played that violin was in Israel. As Bell tells us in the documentary, quote, Growing up, hearing about Huberman as a child, coming to play for the Israel Philharmonic was very special to me. I had just acquired the Huberman violin. End quote. And when we think about it, it is a resonant symbol 
of the miracle of Jewish endurance. The violin, the soul of Bronislav Huberman, was brought home to the orchestra he founded, an orchestra whose founder had inspired so many Jewish musicians to find their way home. And it provides us also another metaphor for interpreting Moses' final commandment in the Torah. Write for yourselves this song. Our soul is our Stradivarius. The Torah is our sheet music. Write for yourselves this song means that Jews achieve continuity by living their lives to the music, to the tempo of the Torah, and by understanding the wonder of a people that truly was an orchestra of exiles, but which never stopped dreaming of coming home. The Stradivarius that Joshua Bell played with such passion on the Metro platform in D.C., the instrument that sorrowfully sang at the subway as hundreds of commuters unknowingly passed by, was the Huberman Stradivarius. And just as those who passed him did not know that it was Joshua Bell, did not know that it was a violin virtuoso playing an unbelievably expensive violin in front of their faces, those passers-by were also unaware that the violin being played contained in its own way the story of the exile, endurance, and return of the Jewish people, the story of the Israel Philharmonic, but also in its own way, the story of the Jewish people itself, the true orchestra of exiles. And if this violin was made famous in the newspaper as being the instrument used to play a masterpiece while no one noticed because they were too busy to notice, then, in the end, that instrument should remind us about what faith is, the ability, as Rabbi Sack said, to hear the music beneath the noise. With this song in Deuteronomy and several blessings bestowed by Moses that follow, the life of this greatest of Israelites will come to an end. But while Moses will indeed die, he will also live, and in more than one sense. The Talmud notes the curious Hebrew words that introduce Moses' more famous song at the sea during the Exodus. Az Yashir Moshe, commonly translated, then sang Moses. But read literally, it can also be understood as, then Moses will sing. And so the rabbis read it. Minayin l'tchiat hamitim min ha-Torah, the Talmud tells us. How do we know from the Torah that ultimately the dead will be resurrected? The answer is from Moses' song. Az Yashir Moshe. Then Moses will sing. Moses will one day sing again in the future. It was my teacher, Rabbi Norman Lamb, who read this Talmudic teaching as, yes, a statement about belief in resurrection, but also about the musical power of the Torah text. And here I am paraphrasing Rabbi Lamb's words. How, he said, do we know that the quickening of the deadest of souls can stem directly from the Torah itself? that the Torah, more than anything else, has the power to breathe life into our lives if we are willing to stop and to listen for it. The proof is in our own experience of sacred scripture. Az Yashir Moshe, then Moses will sing. Moses did not only sing long ago, for those who have encountered the Torah know that Moses' song is an eternal one, that his voice and the voice of those who followed him can always be heard. This is Rabbi Lamb's teaching, and this, ultimately, is what it means when we speak of the Torah as a song. When we study Torah, then Moses will sing. We will witness and we will hear the most extraordinary concert on earth, the call of Judaism in our lives, the voices of those who have gone before, yearning to be heard by us, and yearning for us to expose our children to the spiritual lyrics that will link them to past and posterity. 
Joshua Bell no longer plays at L'Enfant Plaza. He performs before adoring audiences, and a front row seat to his concerts no doubt costs a great deal. But in the final commandment of the Torah, write for yourselves this song, we are called to comprehend that each of us every day has provided the best seat in the house to the concert of Jewish generations if we are willing to make the time to listen. That the Torah is the true masterpiece, the true music. By all rights, this performance should be the most expensive on earth, and yet we can all experience it for a song. This is Mayor Soloveitchik, looking forward to learning together tomorrow, signing off.